Do you see this writing? Do you know what it means? Hospitality. And you can't piss on hospitality. I won't allow it. Um, I'm going to need you to go ahead and come in tomorrow. Give my regards to King Todd, asshole. Tell you what, I'll take Miss Barrett back to her apartment and check her out. I'll go check out Miss Barrett's apartment. I'm not even supposed to be here today. Take your sticking paws off me, you damn dirty ape! Statistical fact. Cops will never pull over a man with a huge bong in his car. Why? They fear this man. They know he sees farther than they. He will bind them with ancient logics. It's all in the reflexes, dear listener. We're the Good Trash Honor Cast, and we're so glad to be with you all again one more time talking about the movies you will never, I mean never, no. watch in the course of the Film Studies Program, and this week it's going to be Big Trouble in Little China, but before we get to that, we got introductions to get done. Across the table to my right, sort of semi-right-ish. My name is Dalton Stewart, and I do not believe in Chinese black magic. It's not going to go well for you, sir. Across the table from me, sir, if you'd introduce yourself as well. I am Arthur Gordon, and Dalton, would you stop rubbing your body up against mine, because I can't concentrate when you do that. <laughs> My name is Dustin Sells, and I feel kind of invincible. And I cannot wait to discuss <laughs> this film uh, with you, gentlemen. Um, the movie in question is Big Trouble in Little China. This is an analysis show, not a review show. So that means we're going to be doing some spoilerific spoilerage um, towards the end of this program. Actually, towards the most of this program, but beforehand. Probably. We're going to give a synopsis and quick reviews, and if you want to give a look at the movie before you hear what we have to say, that's fine and fantastic. Otherwise, uh, stay on and keep listening on. Let's begin now with a synopsis from the voice of the cinema himself, Mr. Arthur Gordon, if you would, sir. An all-American trucker gets dragged into a centuries-old mystical battle in Chinatown. You know, it's Chinatown, Jack. It's just Chinatown. His (laughs) name is Jack. Yes, I caught that. It's a fun joke. Makes me happy. So that's the movie. Um, You know, what happens is... I don't know. There's truck driving CB banter. There's a fiancé. Random fights in the streets that don't make sense. Random penis jokes. There's a Sasquatch. Things are drunk. Fighting is happening. And then there's a Sasquatch again. The end. That's the movie. That about... Yeah, no, that about covers it. Okay. Are you confused? Good. (laughs) (laughs) So, we're going to begin now with our reviews, our thumbs up, thumbs down. We begin with The Virgin. the, the, The first experience of Big Trouble in Little China. Mr. Arthur Gordon, what did you think of this movie? Does it work? Does it not work? Thumbs up, thumbs down, all that good stuff. I thought it was a blast. I had a lot of fun. I think I may have fell in love with uh, Kurt Russell here, um, who looks and acts tough, but becomes this comedic and fairly ineffective action hero, and I think he's he's just a lot of fun here for me. And I've I've seen him in other stuff, but for this one, it really just kind of sold me on him as a, as a performer, so I really enjoyed that. I think the sets and costumes are surprisingly perfect for the film's tone. It's got a strong pace, which is something I've kind of struggled with with other Carpenter films, and sometimes they're not paced that well, in my opinion. But I think this one has a great pacing, and it has to, I think, for what they're doing. It's a lot of fun, and so, yeah, I, I enjoyed it a lot. 
Excellent. You are correct, sir. Um, for an incorrect review, let's hear Mr. Dalton Stewart speak. <sighs> I was bored. This didn't do it for me. How could you be bored watching this movie? It just didn't do it for There's me. There's no telling what's going to happen next. Maybe, I don't know. I You know, the first time I saw this movie was probably nine. Uh, I probably saw it again when I was about 12. This is the first time I've, I've seen this film as an adult. Guys, I was just really bored. Uh, I felt like a lot of the humor fell really flat. Uh, I, I do agree with Arthur. I think uh, the aping of Kurt Russell's machismo is really funny. I think that's probably the funniest, the only funny thing in this film. Um, James I, Hong! You know, James Hong is, is hilarious. James Hong! James Hong gives a perverse As like Methuselah and this oddly, strangely beautiful, weird, sexual, ugly thing that he is when he's like seven feet tall. He's amazing. You mean James Wong as Fu Manchu, right? Yeah, uh, well, well, not, well, yeah, sort of. As Fu Manchu. Sure, fair. As Fu Manchu. Fair. I just was not amused at this film, guys. I don't know. I And we'll get into this in my analysis. I just don't really feel like the jokes work. Uh, and not only do I feel like they, if they had worked, they would have been less racist. Unfortunately, they don't work for me, so I just can't get past how racist this movie plays to me. I'll be, I'll be. It's just really hard for me to get past that, guys, and uh, I feel like that really negatively impacted my viewing of this film. I had fun in points. Um, obviously, Kurt Russell's awesome. He's always awesome. He's always awesome. I, I guess what was really the most problematic for me, because this movie does have a, a sense of energy that is infectious, that is really kind of awesome, uh, and it's totally gonzo bonkers out there crazy and knows it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Somehow this movie is harder to follow than upstream color, believe it or not. <laughs> I, I would have not believed you if you had told me that. I had an easier time. Well, I could, I could kind of attest to that because I was sitting there day trying to put back events in my head and I was like, I don't know when, what happened, I, where. No. Oh, it's an incoherent There's mess. things there, but I don't know how I, to plot them on a map. I don't remember. Yeah. Yeah, I just watched this like less than 12 hours ago. <laughs> okay, less than 24 hours ago. I, yeah, no idea. And it's, it's fun in places. It's just... The action's kind of crappy, even for an 80s film, which... Ha- 80s films are known for having action scenes that don't age well when they're not good. That being said, some of the greatest action scenes of all time still from 80s films. But but I feel like the 80s is starting to show its age in a very bad way <clears throat> that the 90s haven't quite gotten to yet, but they soon will. Um, although CGI from the 90s notwithstanding. My point here is that the action doesn't work and the humor doesn't really work and when you're watching an action comedy at least one of those things needs to work and neither worked for me which made this a really difficult film to get behind despite its gonzo crazy enthusiasm well I'll tell you why you're wrong first of all the humor is great it's really funny it's hilarious you hate Um, Chinese people was that what I love Chinese people, and so does this movie. We'll talk about that more later. I'm, I'm really ready to talk about that. Um, and uh, so the humor is great. It's, it's very, very funny, especially Kurt Russell's um, lack of achievement. Let's, let's, yes. Again, let's just point out, the only person who's ridiculous in this movie is Kurt Russell. I rest my case, Your Honor. Moving on, 
Um, there's a whole lot of other interesting things going on in the movie that, that are just... Um, the action is great. The Kung Fu itself, when it's on camera, is fantastic. The problem, I think, is John Carpenter has a very, very lean sort of editing style. You see a lot of this in the uh, the uh, under underground basement. Not underground underworld where you see the black blood of the earth. Um, you mean oil? No, I mean the black blood of the earth. That was really funny. Yeah. That was really funny. Well, you know, I keep saying lines, you keep laughing at them, but you say the humor doesn't work. I don't think you remember well. Maybe I was in the wrong You should line. stop drunk there, there watching. Ha ha. <laughs> Some of the one-liners work, but as, like, the longer set-piece comedic moments are just like, uh, so they just fall flat. Okay. All right, moving on. Um, so I, the action, I, I get where it doesn't age well, but I don't know that it's so much 80s as much as this Carpenter is, I won't say lazy as an editor, but he just wants to get it done. I'd say that's fair. Yeah. You know, And this film was rushed so that they could beat Golden Child to mm-hmm. the cinema, so. What a normal action shot of, you know, me backing up, punching you in the face, you hitting the ground, um, taking four or five shots, he does in two or three. It, 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 that's what it sent to me, and as I watched it, I thought, "Oh yeah, that's 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 more Carpenter, though." I think. And someone who watches a lot of kung fu films, there are kung fu films from this era that do work. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're right; it is is not inherent to this decade or even this year. Uh, but for me, it's just I, I don't think it might be part of Carpenter's would you know his, his editing in general. But I think what it is is a misunderstanding of how to shoot kung fu. I think that's a big problem. Now, that said, this movie's objectively bad. Thank you. In all those Troll 2 kind of ways, in all of those oh, yeah. uh, Goonies kind of ways. And that's mm-hmm. a Spielberg flick, right? Well, technically, Spielberg produced flick. But you get... I mean, it's not good. I mean, there's it's all ridiculous. None of it makes any sense. But it is so much stinking fun that it overcomes all of that. And that's kind of where it comes to a big thumbs up for me. Is Not only because I saw this as a young person... And I wanted to do Kung Fu uh, because I'd seen it. It was, um, you know, what, what, what year did this come out? 85? 86. 86. So I saw it probably 87. I mean, as soon as it came out on VHS, I saw this movie. The point being, this film is loads of fun um, with, and as Arthur Gordon points out, without nostalgia. And I think that's why it's a lot of, it's, it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a great movie, not because it's good, but because it's just fun. It's, it's an experience that is well appreciated. But... Enough of this. We, we all now understand where we're all coming from and where we all sit with the movie. Let's do some analysis. Um, I think that's going to be really where we're going to break it open again. Spoilers ahoy, dear listener. Uh, we're going to do everything we can to uh, tell you everything that happens in the end um, and uh, whatnot. So, uh, I don't, don't think it'll matter. All right. Well, I mean, there's, there is a Sasquatch at the end. There is. There is a Sasquatch. So, Mr. Dalton Stewart, as we move into the analysis section of the show, uh, what analysis do you bring, sir? Well, I hinted at this in my review. Uh, And I really had not planned on making an entire analysis discussion over how racist this film is. Because I've done it before. And it's it's less interesting here than with Teen Wolf, where the Teen Wolf racism is all subtext. Because at first I just kind of passingly thought about how a lot of films from this era, and not just the 80s, from the 90s as well, are very casually racist uh, without really thinking about it, particularly towards Asian Americans. I think I think we get kind of out of the racism towards um, uh, black people uh, by the oh, I'd say about the, around the same area, we kind of you start to see that, that casual racism towards uh, blacks and African Americans kind of waning by this area by this era, rather. Um, 
But man, is it in full effect against Asian Americans. I mean, think about Sixteen Candles, for crying out loud. That's that's a film that is, you know, from a filmmaker that is, is renowned for how smart John Hughes here, uh, from renowned for how thoughtful and how smart and how funny and how really good he was at capturing uh, adolescence. Sixteen Candles is very racist. And I, so I, I'd planned on talking about 80s racism a little bit, particularly towards Asian Americans, but I hadn't planned on it being my entire analysis. I, I, I had thought of something about a working class struggle, working mm-hmm. class masculinity. I, I couldn't get past it, though. I Every time I try to think about something else, all I could think about is how racist this movie is. Well, it is a revival of what uh, Dr. Wong and Fu Manchu from the 30s and 40s. Well, everyone has got the most stereotypical, silliest Chinese name you can think of. Wang. Wang. There's lots of Wangs in this film. Mm-hmm. There's Egg. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, who drives a bus, a tour bus, uh, and also does black magic. Uh, Grandpa helps run the Chinese restaurant and also does black magic. Everyone knows Kung Fu. Except for Kurt Russell, obviously. But everyone else knows Kung Fu. Because Chinese. Yes. They play dominoes in the middle of the street. Because Chinatown. And I just couldn't get past it, guys. I And I feel like it's not on purpose. I don't think it's on purpose. I think John Carpenter uh, was trying to write a love letter toward, to, to Kung Fu films and to Chinese cinema. Because he's talked about how he likes Kung Fu films. And he's talked about how he had aspired to make a Kung Fu film of some kind. So I, I don't think it's intentional. I really don't. But it is. It's racist in, in the way that your grandma talked about how she has a lot of black friends before saying she thinks black people smell bad. Uh, it's racist like that. It's not racist on purpose. It doesn't mean to be. There's no malice here. But it is racist. Well, I, I think we were talking about this off-air a moment ago. I think what he's doing is he's, he's breaking a taboo and then he's making... Asian stereotypes in exactly the same fashion that contemporary Asian Hong Kong filmmakers were making Asian stereotypes for their films. And I think the difference here being that John Carpenter is not Chinese. So he's not allowed. No. Because I feel like Quentin Tarantino is allowed to make Django Unchained. I feel like Tarantino is allowed to write and film himself saying the N-word in Pulp Fiction. The difference here being, there's never a B-plot where Jules says, Hey Vince, can we go to churches so I can get a two-piece and a grape soda? That is in this film. The Chinese-American equivalent is in this film. It's the inciting incident of the film. I gotta go to the airport to get my wife that I bought. Because I love her. But I bought her. I've been over here working. I slept on the floor of the Chinese restaurant. Now I own the Chinese restaurant. Again... If he had A, done it differently, or B, had been Chinese-American, I think it would play differently. However, he, he plays it in a manner that I feel like Dustin's right is meant to be tongue-in-cheek. is meant to try and reclaim these things, and that just falls flat on his face for me. It really does. Uh, I don't feel like really any characters flushed out because of these stereotypes, especially Kurt Russell. He's got a lot of fun stuff to do. If you're asking for fleshed-out characters, Fair I think enough. you may be speaking to the wrong movie. Fair enough. Uh, interesting would be a better word. 
Because the Avengers doesn't have fleshed out characters as we discussed last week, but they're all fun and interesting. I don't really care. Well, just because they have superpowers. No, if they didn't true. have superpowers, they would not be interesting. Everybody in this film has superpowers except for Kurt well, Russell. That's what makes him interesting. Kurt <laughs> Russell's a stupid, uh, is super dumb. Well, that makes him interesting. His best friend's super good at kung fu. Raiden shows up. I mean, Kim Cattrall is unbearable. That's oh my fair. gosh, he's awful. And there's so many moments of. Hi, I'm here to deliver exposition. I will also be in the corner for the rest of the film. See you later. Like, after the first time... Well, they occasional go, karate chops. With, yeah, well, after the first time they go to Lopan's office, that's literally that entire scene. David Lopan, you mean the reclusive billionaire? Yes. <laughs> yes, I did. Uh, we're going to have the podcast on Mondays from now on. We're going we're gonna to keep doing it at Dustin's house. Dustin Sells? You mean Dustin Sells, who lives in Norman, Oklahoma? Mondays, you mean the day after Sunday, but before Tuesday? Yes, yes, that is exactly what I mean. This forest is old. Very old. I have a lot of problems with this film. And Dustin's right, it is objectively bad. And I can see why people would think it was fun, I just didn't. It didn't work for me. I didn't care. Maybe a year from now, I'll watch this film with a room full of people. And I'll laugh so hard I throw up. But last night, that could I happen. watched this film by myself, and the entire time I was thinking, I really want to go to bed or play Assassin's Creed. But I don't want to be watching this movie. And that's a problem for me. Fair enough. Thank you for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart, that racist reading of the film. Um, <laughs> do chime in, dear listener, um, on the Facey Facebook and other means of social media. I think there's another one, perhaps, that we've heard of. Twitter. So, chime in there and let us know. But, Mr. Arthur Gordon... Do you have any analysis that you would bring? For me, Big Trouble is interesting in that it does a great deal in playing with and diverting the hero's journey. Um, everything starts as it should. We see the hero in his ordinary world here in uh, Little China in San Francisco. He's very comfortable in his surroundings. Uh, and everything is kind of routine, just another night of gambling and going nothing or double. Uh, and it's during his adventures in Little China that our hero receives his call to action. While at the airport, he encounters a treasure that he'll eventually have to seek out. And this call is continued throughout the alley encounter and initial chase of the Lords of Death. And the meeting of the three storms and low pan. Lords of Death, by the way, is the name of my band. Is it? You have a lot of band names. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first major diversion from the hero's journey comes in the reluctance of the call. Our hero is never fully reluctant to accept the call. He's gung-ho from the initial call to pursue the treasure. Even if things are odd and hard to accept, he keeps an open mind about everything. The story progresses and we are introduced to the mentor, Egg Chen, the wizened wizard, who is here to help our hero on his quest and who has an established history with the primary antagonist of the story. Our hero then crosses the threshold upon entry of the brothel. The call has now been fully committed to and there is no turning back. Everything must play out. And this is the first of many tests that he will encounter where we see the assembling of his allies. And this is where things got murky because I couldn't remember at what point they got locked into the wheelchairs of doom and things of that nature but uh, yeah because they go back to Lopan's hideout like eight times yeah and he's got like eight of them and they're all different subterranean levels apparently the next phase sees our hero enter the innermost cave which turns out to be Lopan's final subterranean headquarters of doom and it is at the facing of the ordeal that we get the next diversion from the journey typically our hero will face a moment of near death that the audience will fully buy into but we never really fully get that uh, developed here, he certainly has his fair share of enemies that he'll have to face, but there's never that moment of doom, and it really felt like that may come when they're in the elevator and the water starts to flood it, which has that very Star Warsian kind of the garbage disposal kind of trash compactor feel to it. But they you just are so on something there, but go ahead. 
We usually would ask, how is he going to get past this? Yet we never truly encounter that within this film. But once things get going, there doesn't seem to be anything standing in his way. And once our hero interrupts the wedding ceremony, uh, we, see this, we see the sidekick recapture the sword or claim his treasure. This is the next version of the journey, as Jack, the sidekick, gets to claim his reward, but our hero Wang has yet to recapture his. And as the story progresses, the journey will continue to be skewered. This twist in the story moves our hero and his sidekick into the next step, which is the road back. Wang and Jack must now rescue Mao Yin and defeat Lo Pan. As the journey continues to be skewed, Jack defeats Lo Pan by simply having quick reflexes. His initial attack on Lo Pan misses, which is an attribute of his terrible hero ability, but he's able to counter Lo Pan just because he's got good reflexes somehow. Mm. That was quite a humorous uh, disposal of the main villain. Oh, yeah. Made my day. <clears throat> Wayne and Jack must now face off with Thunder and Lightning one last time before the resurrection and return stages. What was the third storm's name? Rain. Th- Rain, Thunder, and Lightning. Okay. Yeah. I didn't I never catch that. I was curious. It is within the resurrection stage that the hero emerges from the innermost cave. Wayne and Jack mm-hmm. do so, but upon their leave, they encounter the Lords of Death, so they must hop in Jack's truck and make a rough exit. The film finalizes us with the last step as the hero. <laughs> you said Wang has to make a rough exit. <laughs> this is how this movie got written. The film finalizes with the last step as the hero Wang has returned home with the elixir, or for our purposes, the woman Mao Yin. Jack returns also, and in the final twist of the knife, we see that the elixir he has truly returned with is the monster of Lo Pan's camp, a monster that will now stay with Jack until who knows when. Excellent, excellent. I, I like that, that Campbellian, Campbellite. I did enjoy that. He's been coming up a lot on the show lately. Yeah, you know, I mean... The, we went a long time without talking about him, mm-hmm. though. All the movies kind of do that. Yeah. That was right. good, though. I enjoyed that, Arthur. And I gotta say, Arthur, I totally <clears> saw <throat> the Campbell thing going um, in, the, in the entirety of the film uh, as, as I was looking at it. I want to go at it a slightly different angle. I want to go at it structurally with your Joseph Campbell, all the Star Wars reading um, in the background, and maybe answer some of the same things that Dalton was speaking about. Uh, Please do. As to the film's racism. Uh, this is what I was noticing. First of all, let's just talk about a structural thing. This movie is Star Wars, and Jack is R2-D2. He is the incompetent sidekick who every once in a while gets something right. He's like R2 and 3PO all at one time. And so the entirety of the film is him muffing things along as being told from his perspective. Now, we know that Star Wars is based on an Akira Kurosawa film called The Hidden Fortress, which is told from the perspective of these two peasants. And there is a princess, and there is a samurai general who is doing all the protecting and rescuing and sword play and whatnot, who are really the heroes. This is Wang's movie. It's Wang's fiancé that's missing. Now, there's a second fiancé girl, Kim Cattrall, semi-actress, that's also uh, being played into this. I guess she's fully an actress, technically. Moving on. Um, that is just being added, though, just to keep your Western audience in play. Really, it's all about Wang rescuing his fiance. That's the entire movie. And Wang's Obi Wan is played by uh, James Wong. No, John Wong, James Hong. Um, that's not confusing. Yeah, we did that earlier. I said James Wong earlier. Yeah. I meant James Hong. James Hong, John, John Hong. Hong. Who are both awesome actors. Great actors. Um, loved him ever since uh, Three Ninjas. Anyway, moving on. Yeah, they've both been put in some track. <laughs> He's got his own Obi-Wan, who is a magic man, who brings him the magic that helps him, you know, unleash all the inherent abilities that he has within himself. He also has an Uncle Ben. He hasn't. So, all of that, right, is at work. He's, he's going to be the one that brings balance to the Force. The Wedge Antilles. 
Sorry, I got sidetracked. Yeah, and and they get stuck in the trash compactor. All of that. I mean, John Carpenter is making Star Wars, Mm -hmm. right? He is making Star Wars inside of a kung fu comedy. Now, what's amazing about that is he's doing this and using Kurt Russell as the first bill and the first name to, uh, you know, it would be like if you titled Episode 4, A New Hope, actually, The Adventures of C-3PO. That's really what we've done with this film. Now, what what Carpenter has now done with the 3PO character that is Jack is he has made him an analog for America being transported into Chinatown. So he's a truck driver. He's blue collar. He's talking on a CB radio, and he thinks everybody wants to hear everything he's saying. But actually, there's never anybody talking back because nobody's actually listening to what he's got to say. I thought about that a little bit. There, there is a discussion of speaking into the ether out of a desire to be heard here. Uh, and uh, hey, how's it going, guys? Well, uh, you know, at least it's that didn't be... hit close to home at all. No, Americans never do that. Um, also, Americans sometimes give a lot of bluster and blunder. I mean, he's absolutely playing John Wayne mm-hmm. in yeah. this role. I mean, he's doing his John Wayne impersonation uh, while he does this. And as he's doing so, he, he blusters and bumbles in, and every once in a while he can brute muscle his way through things, but he lacks all finesse, all ability, all understanding. He doesn't understand the situation that's going on. He is completely limited by his very, very limited scope of interests and tastes, and he's not able to understand the greater cultural context in which he's placed. Sounds a lot like America. We eat nothing but chicken fried steak and mashed potatoes and gravy, and we don't understand anything else that's going on in the world, any other cultural reference, any other thing that's happening. And so Carpenter is doing this very, very Asian-style kung fu movie with this one American standard analog and saying, this guy's kind of a bozo and he doesn't actually get it. And there's a whole lot other going on in the world. There's a whole lot of other cultures that are happening right now that may have a deeper understanding of what's going on and may be able to identify some things as we experience them because we only have this very, very limited uh, set of experiences. So when we see the black blood of the earth, we're just thinking oil because that means more money. Capitalist greed is what's being named in that moment, and the guy's like, no, no, the, the black blood of the earth, the earth's like a living thing, you shouldn't hurt it, and totally lost on poor Jack. Carpenter's making a very, very smart movie about multiculturalism, and he's using all these stereotypes and ridiculous um, buffoonery and, you know, Jack being an idiot to hide all of that commentary, and then he goes on and does the same thing in making a movie called They Live. This is what he's up to, and he's going to be on the nose what they live. But that's my reading of that film. I mean, I, I don't know if you're right. I'm. I feel like you've made some good points as far as right. I like what you had to say uh, in tying in with what Arthur said about these, uh, you know, these structuralisms, these these Campbellian narratives. I, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed what you had to say about Jack representing America because I felt like that was there for sure. Mm-hmm. I just didn't feel like Carpenter represented. China very well, or Chinese Americans to be more specific. Well, and that's fair, but I, I think the greater point is that America thinks that we're the hero in every story. Yes, and we're not necessarily the. And case. that would be a really interesting film if it didn't also come with about eight guys named Wong. <laughs> and a gang I think called the Wing Wong. The Wing Wongs and the Sing Songs, which, which and, is fantastic. Yeah, it was ridiculous, and, and you know the the rice paddy hats were fine. Uh, it would have been fine if they weren't so ridiculous. Uh, they could have, you know, Raiden. I like Mortal Kombat. 
They could have. They could have played. Obviously, if you're not aware, by the way, uh, many characters in this film inspired many characters in the Mortal Kombat franchise. Lots of it's fame. It's fame. They're like they haven't even tried to pretend this didn't happen. They, no. they've said, yeah, obviously. I had, I don't know, doesn't I like what you said? I just I, I think it, what you're saying whether about whether or not it actually forgives the yes, use of the stereotypes. I, I think what Carpenter's doing with America is there, and I think that works. Because I, I, I picked up on that, I thought that was amusing, and I, yeah, I liked that. Um, how you've talked about it justifying the use of stereotypes, I feel like is interesting. I don't think it does, though, I guess. I, I like your analysis, I agree with it to an extent. I, don't, I think we, uh, we remain uh, at loggerheads this week, which is pretty rare. That hasn't happened in a while. Happens all the time, I just don't say anything. Oh, I hate you. Jerk. No, it's not true. No, I think it's fair, Dalton. I mean, this is just, this is a polarizing film. I mean, just to begin with, every bit as much Famously, as, in fact. Yeah, famously polarizing. Ebert hated this movie, which is a good sign that you should love it. But that's a whole... Sometimes. Sometimes. Whole nother conversation. He didn't like that one movie I'm not allowed to talk about. That's true. We're gonna move on! And give our final verdict, Shell for Trash, Else or Instead. I ask you, Mr. Arthur Gordon, what say you, sir? I think I can see this being on my shelf, uh, especially the Blu-ray with Carpenter and Russell commentaries involved. What? And, uh, you know, I'm not usually big on action films, but this, you know, the, the blend of the comedy and the fantasy, I think it's just a lot of fun for me, personally. Um, it's absurd and it knows it. And I'd say you have to watch this with Taken. Uh, <laughs> okay. I, think really well. I mean, you got the human trafficking kind of thing going on. I'm not Irish. Irish. <laughs> Who told you I'm Irish? <laughs> That's a lie. Where's my daughter? Liam Neeson cracks me up. That's the way. That's how he gets rid of his accent is growling. Yeah, I love it. I love Liam. Uh, then I think you watch the Die Hard. Should be a lot of fun because you see Kurt Russell running around his wife beater for a while, and you can pair that with yeah, Kurt Cruise running around in his wife beater. Yeah, correct. And, and then for the second week in a row, I think you watch this with uh, Star Wars, the original trilogy. Yeah, so I think it's it's all over this film certainly. Thank you for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Dalton, what do you say? Shell for trash, elsewhere instead. Uh, I can't trash it. It's, there's too much cult following for it. I'd feel bad. Stream it. Because um, when I trash a film, I think that means it shouldn't exist, mm. uh, and you shouldn't watch it. I feel like you should watch this. It's got a big cult following, and I like John Carpenter as a rule. I like his films, and I get why people probably liked this when it first came out. So stream it. I don't know if you think you'll be into it. Check it out, but I, I can't recommend it. You know, personally. Uh, instead, I would recommend the very first Carpenter film we did for this. The very first film we did for the show, which is also Carpenter's uh, first film with. Uh, and, and that is Assault on Precinct 13. I'm sorry, it's the second film. Dark Star was his first one. We made a mistake on that episode. Um, <laughs> yeah, we did. That's his first film. And we're corrected yeah. immediately. Yeah. Thank you, dear listener. Yeah, it's it's uh, his first film with his name above the title. Uh, Assault on Precinct 13, which is a much better commentary on race and a much better action film. So watch that instead. I would also recommend The Thing, which is a much better Kurt Russell, John Carpenter team-up. In fact, I'd say it's their best team-up. In fact, I would say go watch The Thing right now, because it's one of the best sci-fi films and one of the best horror films ever made. Um, finally, if, if you want some some uh, distillation, I'd say, uh, of Chinese tropes and uh, culture into a really, really, really bad kung fu movie, uh, watch Mortal Kombat, because it's way yes. more fun than this. <laughs> Mortal Kombat is... Awesome. <laughs> Guys, that movie's really good. No, it's not. It's objectively terrible, but it's really fun. <laughs> it's more fun than this film, and the fight choreography is a lot better. Uh, and so is the fight editing. Go watch Mortal Kombat. I love that movie. And also, there's, you know, Shang Tsung has been both films, so 
There's that. God, if James Hong had been in Mortal Kombat, that would have been awesome. All right, guys, thanks for that. Um, what I would say is this is a shelfer, but it's only a $5 Walmart bin shelfer, I mean, in my opinion. I don't think you want to put a lot of coin down on this. I had the VHS copy, and I wore the tape out. I mean, I loved <laughs> it when I was a kid. And uh, it's a great movie uh, in that it's fun. I mean, not great that it's good because, as we've said, it's objectively not very good. So definitely shelf. Uh, what I would say you ought to uh, watch in addition to this is you ought to check out The Hidden Fortress, the one that started it all uh, with this whole idea of using uh, the fool and the jester as the, uh, the lens from which you look at the action rather than the hero. Uh, I think that's very, very interesting uh, just at the, at the get-go. Also, you should check out uh, John Carpenter's They Live just because it's more of that political commentary that he's doing. Uh, but it's much more on the nose and obvious. And awesome. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. And so those are my recommendations uh, for how we would uh, pair this uh, fine piece of cinematic history um, that you will never, ever see in a film studies course. Not a chance, unless Dustin teaches it. That's good trash. That's what I'm going to say. It's definitely, definitely good trash. Now, let's, let's do what we do, though, and give the listener opportunity to respond through various and sundry means of social media. Arthur, do you know anything about that? I've got a couple of uh, places you can, you can put your, your feedback. Uh, you can email us a good... Trash.com at gmail.com. Goodness, Arthur. Does it involve a needle in your arm? An orgiastic stabbing? I love needle. I love needle. Pricking me. Uh, That was was a weird scene. uh, You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash good trash genre cast. And other than Caleb Masters telling me that I need to buy a PS4 so that I can join the ranks of him and Dalton and all of those who are gaming on that system so I can play Arkham Knight when it comes out, uh, we have no feedback. And so I will send it to the other medium of social media. Hmm? I'm sorry. What was that? That'd be you. I, I don't. What, what are you saying? I don't. I don't understand. What are you saying to me? That there's another medium of social media. I. Oh. Oh, that. Well, Arthur, it's you know, it's like I told my last wife. I says, "Honey, I never talk faster than I can see." And besides that, it's all in the tweets. Ladies and gentlemen, you can find the Good Trash Genre Casts on Twitter at good underscore trash. And what feedback do we have from the Tweety Twitter? Caleb Masters, former co-host and friend of the show, chimed in. Uh, he said he had a... Uh, I, I'm not quite sure what he meant by the T-Team. Um, but he said the T-Team. Oh, I don't, oh, the trash team, the A-team, I got it. Okay, he called us the T-team. Thanks, Caleb. Uh, seductive heroine, he goes with Buffy. Uh, anti-hero, Blade. And demigod, Wonder Woman. Fight Twihards, Vamps, Greek Myths. Also, frequent contributor to the Good Trash Genre cast, uh, Brigham Cole gave us this lovely, lovely true detective um, Law & Order. I forgot what Law & Order was for a second. Uh, Law & Order, opening credits remake. It's funny. <laughs> I, I retweeted it from the the account. You should check it out. Um, and finally, we were once again featured by Deus Ex Media's um, Follow Friday. So thanks to that other local podcast. We also got a lot of tweets and uh, or retweets and favorites uh, from the people out there. So uh, mucho gusto, friends and comrades of the show. We we appreciate you uh, keeping it, keeping it alive, keeping keeping love alive. Dustin sells. 
Where else can the Good Trash Undercast be found on the interweb? Uh, of course, you can always find us at goodtrashgenrecast.podbean.com. That's our main hosting site where you can find us. There's obviously a comment section there. Also, you can follow us if you want to create your own Podbean account, which means you don't have to podcast. You can just subscribe and listen to all your favorite podcasts uh, from Podbean. Also, we're available on Stitcher Internet Radio. We're very, very proud to be part of that. And also, uh, something called iTunes, which apparently is a thing that people do. I don't know. I've never heard of it. Because I live under a rock. But um, those are all available to you. And finally, a social media means would be uh, Tumblr. We're at goodtrashgenrecast.tumblr.com. There are pictures and pretty things to look at there. And sometimes less pretty things. And occasionally an article that's smart. And sometimes ones that are dumb. But it's always fun to see. And you can tumble with us there on Tumblr. Time to play the game. Now, let's move on and play our game. This is one of many team-ups between the great John Carpenter and the great Kurt Russell. And we want to talk about our favorite director, starring actor, actress, team-ups, and uh, in cinema. And so that's going to be the game. We're going to talk a little bit less about movies in particular and more about these sort of team-ups where there are these multiple recurring performance and director roles. And I ask you first, Mr. Arthur Gordon, what do you say, sir? Uh, just go down the list. I'd say instantly DiCaprio and Scorsese. Uh, I think they do a lot of good work together, uh, specifically uh, Wolf of Wall Street most recently, uh, which probably showcases one of DiCaprio's best, if not his best performance to date. I'd say next, Sam Jackson and Quentin Tarantino. I think when Jackson's in a Tarantino film, he's not just chewing scenery. He's, he's actually doing his job. When you absolutely, well. positively got to make everyone in the theater laugh, except no substitutes. Uh, next, I'd say Chris Nolan and Michael Caine. I like when they, when they work together. I think it's a lot of fun. I'm sorry, who was that? Michael Caine. Thank you. Uh, next, Johnny Depp and Tim Burton. The early stuff, maybe not so much the later stuff, but definitely those... Ed Wood is up there in Nancy's or Hands are mm-hmm. both really good films. Uh, I like Steven Soderbergh and George Clooney. Ocean's Eleven, shout out. And finally, Hitchcock and the multi-collaborations therein. Cary Grant, Jimmy Stewart, the list oh, goes on. Oh, how? What should I throw that window over there? <laughs> that's, that's what I got for you, gentlemen. Well, thank you very much, uh, Mr. Arthur Gordon. What do you say, Mr. Dalton Stewart? Well, I also went with Marty Pills, uh, but I thought a little bit more of uh, his, his pairings with De Niro. Although, obviously, uh, I thought about uh, his pairings with DiCaprio. But uh, he, he's definitely one of those actor, those directors that I think has muses, yeah. to be sure, uh, and switches every couple of decades. But, man, talk about some good work with De Niro. Holy God. Man. Woo! Mm. Uh, also, I'd like to talk about uh, Clint Eastwood and his team-ups with himself. <laughs> I don't think he was ever better than when he directed himself, and I don't think he's ever been a better director than when he's the star of the film. That's valid. Yeah, except for Mystic River. Um, finally, I, you know what? I don't care. I'm going to do what I want. You know what I want to do? I'm going to break some rules. Bottoms up. Because I've been good for a while. So we're going to talk about David Fincher. Now that rule is in effect, so I don't bring him up every episode. But you know what? I've been good. I mean, what am I going to do? Talk about, you know, two of my... I just ignore two of my favorite films from the 90s. Probably my two favorite films from the 90s. That just so happen to feature the same actor-director team-up. No, that would be silly. Uh, so I'm not going to. 
Seven and Fight Club are two great films that deal with a lot of the same issues and themes, and both are dark and funny in places, one being darker and one being funnier, obviously. But still, I, I just feel like those two really launched each other into the best phases of their careers. Like, I, they just, they helped put each other on the map. And I, that's what I think a team-up is about, is about two artists coming together uh, and getting the most out of each other. I also do want to point out a couple others that uh, I, I've been thinking about, though. Uh, that would be uh, Wes Anderson and the Wes Anderson Players, as I like to call them. <laughs> um, Fair enough. Th- there's, <laughs> there are some directors that I don't think just any actor can be in their films, especially writer-director... Uh, I almost said duo, singular, a writer, director, uh, you know, a man, woman that does both. I don't think every actor can work with every writer, director. I don't think everybody can pull off a Tarantino movie, and I don't think everybody can pull off an Anderson movie. I think it takes a very specific actor with a very specific comedic sensibility. Uh, And the uh, Wilson brothers, uh, Murray, a whole host of other people, um, really just make... Anderson's films more than what they appear on the surface. This kind of kitschy, uh, smarter than you comedy. Uh, when in reality, they're very smart, uh, but also very heartfelt, very uh, emotional, very very deep meditations on human emotion that are also exceptionally funny, like really funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think there's a reason he keeps reusing the same actors, much like Nolan keeps reusing the yeah. same actors. But I feel like probably anybody can be in a Nolan film. Because Nolan's kind of a force of nature with his directing, and it's just like, be here, things will be happening. Um, whereas Wes Anderson, I think... He sounds more like Peter Jackson to me. That's true. I, I don't think any actor can hit those rhythms and deliver those lines. Um, so the Wes Anderson players, are, for sure, must be mentioned. And uh, Dustin, that's really all I have to say, if you want to go ahead and pick it up. I'm the only good man. Well, I want to at least name one actress-director act, uh, combination, and since you've mentioned Hitchcock already in actors, uh, I'm going to say Grace Kelly in Hitch. Uh, Dial M for Murder, Foreign Correspondent, the remake, also Rear Window. She's amazing. She's gorgeous. She's wonderful. And she just is excellent in all of those roles. Well, now you made me feel like a jerk. So I'll mention one that I just didn't say. Well, fine. That's Frances McDormand and the Coen Brothers. Oh, yeah, no doubt. Because she's a really underutilized actress, and I feel like yeah. they they get her. Also, uh, Laura Dern and David Lynch. Uh, I knew you were going to mention that one. Because yeah, they're 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 great together, uh, and I just I really like them. Finally, uh, just again, kind of keeping it on the outside, just other things to be thinking about. Toshiro Mifune and Akira Kurosawa. Uh, Toshiro, mm-hmm. what, what'd you call it? It was on the list. It was yeah. on the list because it's this. Great. I thought about it when I saw it though. It, it's great what they do. Um, they're they're doing these samurai films. They're doing um, high and low. These gangster movies, and uh, they're doing these period dramas like Redbeard. They're doing all this different stuff. And it's really fantastic, and uh, I just really, really enjoyed that pairing up. And I like Mafuni a lot, especially when it's with Kurosawa. And I, I guess I want to name like a one-time pairing that just well, it's not just a one-time pairing, but really, it's only one famous time pairing: Joseph Cotton and Orson Welles. You put those guys together, and it's just awesome. I mean, I understand uh, the the Magnificent Andersons also had Cotton in it, but. It was not the same thing. I just, man, Citizen Kane, those two together, it's great. Maybe it's like Joseph Cotton and all the things, but I just want to say that as well. All right, guys. Well, that's a game. Dear listener, who are your favorite director, actor slash actress? 
Combo team-ups? Combo team-ups, where they unite in power to take on evil and make good movies. Uh, do much, much like the Avengers. Much, much, or I was thinking the Justice League, but the Avengers is No, not they good. don't make good movies. Uh, <laughs> you don't know that. I do, in fact. Hasn't Foreshadowing. They've tried. Taught me. Yeah. Hasn't happened Context yet. Context clues. <laughs> yeah. There may be some contextual clues that are not in our favor. There. I'm really good at figuring out what the subject of a sentence is. <laughs> <laughs> in that case, subject was the subject of that sentence. Correct. Yes, I know. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Grammar. Moving on. Uh, we do um, want to hear what you'd have to say, so please give us feedback uh, here, there, and everywhere, as before mentioned, in the topper parts of the show from where we are right now. Let's do what we always do at this point. And let's talk about what's got fired up so we can pop culture to round the show out. Are you fired up, Dalton? Ish. Mostly, I'm bad fired up. But I'm not even allowed to be bad fired up because it's not that big of a deal. But here's... Last night, I sat down to HBO Go to watch the season finale <laughs> of True Detective. <laughs> Arthur is laughing because he knows that HBO Go killed itself last night. Because too many people tried to use it at once. And HBO Go... Sorry, HBO doesn't want you to use HBO Go. Because they want you to actually be watching the show while it happens. So they don't really have that many servers, I guess. So HBO committed, HBO Go committed suicide. Uh, and we all just had to sit there and go, Well, damn! What happened? <laughs> Apparently if you started at right at 8, you were good to go. It was late. But if you started any later, because I started at like 8.30, 8.45, nothing. Nothing. You know what? I tried again just for poops and giggles uh, at like 12.15 after we watched this movie. Or after I watched this movie. Guess what? Still not working. <laughs> so I still haven't seen... I planned this week, this episode, to talk about the season finale of True Detective. Which I know we've already mentioned on the show a couple... We've mentioned a couple weeks. Yeah. Uh, but we kind of let it chill off. Since the last time we mentioned the show on air, it has become a gen- genuine pop culture phenomenon. I mean, huge, big time. It's it's it, it has crossed into that Mad Men, Breaking Bad, Walking Dead, um, Sopranos, Lost threshold. Where even if you don't watch the show, you probably will get the parodies. You will get the references just by virtue of being alive and paying attention to popular culture. That's how big this show got in the last time we mentioned it, which I think is really awesome mm-hmm. because now it's done. Next season, they'll do something different. It'll be about detectives, and they'll be true. So it'll be something more anthology-wise, like uh, yes. American Horror Story? Yes, like American okay. Horror Story. So more McConaughey and Woody Harrelson? No, no more. No more. No mas. No mas. That's how they're going to get those big-name actors, is say, hey, you only have to work for eight months, and yeah. then you can go back Just to doing what you want to do. Making yeah. the big movies. Which is how they are going to continue to get big actors, I suspect. My dream cast uh, is Jake Gyllenhaal, because he was that awesome as a homicide detective in Prisoners, uh, as the rookie... And as the wizened, I'm too old for this shit partner, I'm thinking somebody in, in the neighborhood of a, of a Josh Brolin, uh, of a Nick Nolte. Uh, Nick there, Nolte. There's a huge gap. Hold on, sorry, sorry. Nick Nolte 20 years ago. Okay. Sorry. Okay. Sorry. Uh, and Nolte on his A-game, not, you know, when he's been on the sauce. When he's on his A-game, which is just a little bit of the sauce. I got nothing to say. I, you looked at me earlier and you say something. No. Uh, but, but somebody like that. Uh, also, I, I could go for, for your Denzels. Somebody, I need somebody from 40 to 65 to really round that pairing out. But man, I love the show. I really do. 
Um, so I, I don't really have an opinion on the final episode because I'm seeing it. I'll probably tell you next week, but uh, I didn't get to watch it. Um, I did pick up uh, this app that's been popular with the children, uh, the street youths called Snapchat. Guys, it's so much fun. <laughs> oh my god. I'm Dalton underscore Stewart if you want to find me. It's a blast. <laughs> oh my god. I get weird. Just a heads up. Uh, but it's fun. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Snapchat was created for basically illicit purposes uh, where you can send somebody a picture that only lasts for one to ten seconds and then it's gone forever or a video they can only watch once uh, and it's gone forever unless you save the thing you send to your phone. You can screenshot it, but it alerts the other person. So it's meant for really weird things as any of your friends or just short picture messages. But I use it to send my friends really weird things and it's a lot of fun. Uh, for instance, I took a picture of the playground in my apartment complex and uh, with the caption, this is where I go to meet girls at the apartment. Um, hilarity ensues. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a blast. It's a lot of fun. Um, I also uh, have started watching the second season of Hannibal. Um, uh, Brian Fuller's Hannibal on NBC. Man, it's good. I totally flipped the switch on it. That's what I like. I like a show that keeps it fresh. Hannibal did that. Totally did not do what you expected it to do. Uh, by the end of this season, I think they'll get back more into what you expected them to do, which was work towards a season that adapts Red Dragon. Um, but man, season two just totally flipped things on its head, totally subverted what you know about the characters in this universe, uh, and opens with a super awesome fight scene. Uh, so yeah, check that out. But I've been talking about Hannibal for a year now. You guys know that I like it. You should like it too. And that's what's got me fired up this week in pop culture. Well, thanks, Dalton. Arthur, you fired up too? Yeah, well, no. But I do really like Hannibal. Yeah, it's good, right? I'm in the. I'm about halfway through, a little over halfway through season one, and I'm loving it. I've seen season one, and I think it's yeah. great. Do, do they stream the new episodes on the Amazon Primes? Uh, we had to pay for them. I was oh, okay. Well, they're, they're on, on Hulu. They're on the Hulu's for yeah. free. Um, otherwise, I watched Sin City: A Dame to Kill For's trailer and kind of feel mad about it. I'm not too too as excited as I was hoping to be, but maybe a bit of fun. Back to you, Dustin. I'm not especially fired up in pop culture. I mean, it is popular. It is culture. It is something people know about. I'm reading the original um, Arthur Conan Doyle Sherlock Holmes stories right now. Oh, cool. And they're kind of fantastic. I mean, they really, really are. And uh, if you're familiar with the BBC Sherlock series, which is the good one, or the Elementary series, which is the bad one, um, you um, will be rewarded uh, for that familiarity, but they are different stories. Uh, for the most part, unless you're talking about Elementary, which is more of a copy and whatnot. But... Very good. I really dig me some Sherlock Holmes and reading books, which is something I don't do a whole lot of sometimes. Well, this, I I can't deal with this, Dustin. I need you to be fired up about more. What are you listening to? You listen to any music? I, I, you know, I've been listening to a lot of music. I've been listening to um, William Elliot Wilmore lately a lot. Who what, is? What does that mean? He's a musician. He's uh, recent. Uh, think of this. Okay. Nineteen uh, twenties African American. Baptist preacher playing a banjo, except for he's a 20-something white kid from Iowa. That's what he sounds like. That sounds That's cool. the kind of music he makes. And it's kind of this folksy country blues stuff. I like the blues. And I do, too. And so I've been listening to lots of that lately. It's the music of pain. It is. It is. Uh, it's the music of people who are in need of redemption. But enough Exodus parallels for me right now. You're watching me. What was the last movie you watched? Last movie, the very, very last movie I watched was Bram Stoker's Dracula, Francis Ford Coppola, and it's much better than I remembered. It's, really? It's, it's, it's hyper-sexy, and that's a fair criticism, but it's really cool. I wish it was sexier. I'd probably enjoy it more. Uh, well. 
Moving on, thank you so much, gentlemen, for all of that pop culture fired upness. Um, we are going to call it a day and a show, and we're going to let you know what you need to look at for next time, which is Mr. Arthur Gordon. Well, you know, I had talked about maybe pulling something out of a hat. Oh, this is right. It's your, host? It's yeah. your pick. It's his pick. I forgot. And so I was, you know, I've got this list of movies, but then I saw something on Netflix today that I think may just want it over. And so, gentlemen, I have to ask. Have the lambs stopped screaming yet? We're watching Jonathan Demme's The Silence of the Lambs. Oh, wow. That's not at all what you told us you might pick. No. I, I when I saw like it streaming, it. it had to happen. All right, so we're going to look at Silence of the Lambs next time. I'm very, very excited, and I cannot wait to say hello, Calories, to you all again as uh, we... Uh, watch that movie and uh, break it apart and do some analysis. I'm sure there's plenty to be discussed uh, with all that. But until then, you watch movies with somebody you care about, have a good conversation about it because the movies mean something and they help us understand the lives that we're living right here and right now. And uh, check that stuff out and break it open more and more. And we'll see you next time. Run until the day goes away.